Let's just listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 10 as we begin our uh, time in, before God's presence this morning. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I want to welcome everybody here again. And if you're worshiping with us online, we're welcome you too. We're glad that you're here. I'd like to just mention that if you are here for the first time or you aren't here for the first time, there is an extra flap in the bulletin, uh, on the bulletin. And if you have a prayer request or something you'd like to share with us as one of our regular attenders, that's great. If you're a newcomer, we'd just appreciate if you would fill out that uh, little sheet and then tear it off. And in the offering, which is on the welcome table as you leave, we just ask you to put it in the offering that we have a record of your attendance with us. Several things to bring to your attention. First of all, uh, we're planning an Easter egg hunt on April 16th. And so uh, we're needing eggs and we're needing candy more desperately than we need eggs. We still have a shortfall in some eggs, plastic eggs. There's a graphic in the bulletin so you can take note of that if you would, but we really have candy. We don't even have enough to put one piece of candy in every egg right now that we have. So we would appreciate you uh, stepping up to the plate and help us out. There's a box for each of those items out in the entryway. And we thank you for that. want to ask you to continue to be praying for Mary Bristow. Uh, she was in Haiti for several weeks and came back. And now she has pancreatitis. And she's in the hospital. So we just continue to pray for her and for her recovery. A lot of other people to be praying for. So I'm not trying to just say just pray for Mary, but pray for her especially. Also ask that you uh, would be uh, praying for our missionary families who are helping serve refugees who are coming out of Ukraine and ministry there. So particularly the Akins and also um, Pablo and Bethany Calderon, uh, some of our other missionaries as well. So please be praying for them. I was asked to announce that there is a Easter choir that's being formed. It uh, hasn't been formed yet. So if you're interested in uh, singing, guys and gals both, uh, meet at the piano in the fellowship hall after the service. So uh, Tom Baird and Dakota Durr are kind of uh, heading this up, and they'd like to like you to participate. So I guess they have one song picked out for us to be singing on Easter. So that would be that'd be great. We're looking forward to that, and ask you to contact them. There's only one other thing we're going to be putting out some publicity about uh, a ministry here in the Des Moines metro area called Ruth Harbor, which is a place that uh, takes in. Uh, women, uh, single women, who are, have, have children that are in special need of care, and there's a walk for life that they're having to raise funds for their ministry. We'll have a lot more information uh, coming down the pike, but that's on May 7th, so I just wanted to make you aware of that. I'd like to pray right now if we could. Let's go. Father, thank you uh, that even though our sins may be many, your mercy is more, and we understand that that's not an excuse for us to sin, but it is a relief 
for us because we know we do sin, to know that you aren't going, are not going to reject us, you're not going to cast us off, but that you'll welcome us back as we repent and turn and, and seek your face. I ask that you'd open my heart, each of our hearts, uh, for what you have to say to us today through your word. God, we pray and ask that you would continue to work in our hearts to transform us and change us. We pray and ask that you'd work in Mary Bristow's life, particularly, Lord, to bring healing and strength to her and uh, restore her body. We pray also for John Roskam and ask that you would uh, touch his body, that he might be able to uh, get back home. That's his desire and prayer. And many others, Lord, in our congregation who are healing from, uh, from sickness and healing from surgeries and things. I know uh, Karen is here, and we just thank you for her and pray you continue to touch and heal her body. And ask now, Lord, that as your word goes forth, that you would touch our hearts and teach us each what we need to hear and show us what we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you not necessarily to yell them out, but I want you to think, if you will, about some saints in the Bible who have some notorious uh, sin that kind of marks their, marks their life. Um, I thought, and these are just a few that came to my mind, but first of all, I, I thought... I. My mind works this way. I start at the beginning, okay? So I thought about Abraham, right? Abraham's a great man of faith who lied twice about his relationship with his wife, okay? And then there's Jacob, who that deceiving scoundrel guy, you know, who, who swindled his brother out of both his blessing and his birthright. Then there's Moses, Humble Moses, if you read the book of Numbers, I think you get a picture of Moses as, as a rather humble man. But here's a guy who said, oh God, I can't really talk. I need somebody else to speak for me when I go before the Egyptians. And then there was Moses also, who was the guy who, instead of speaking to the rock, struck the rock in disobedience to God. He was supposed to speak, to, and I know there's two different times. One time he was supposed to speak and he did, and the other time he was supposed to uh, speak and he struck the rock, and so he, was, he messed up there. Then there's Elijah. Now, you know, and, and, uh, before the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah is like a storming guy. I mean, he's like, okay, yeah, bring it on. I'm, I'm really a tough guy. But in the face of Jezebel, he's like, whoa, I don't know, I'm scared. And then there's David. Man after God's own heart committed both adultery and murder. This morning we come to a passage of Scripture that highlights probably the most famous or infamous and the most egregious offense against God in Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus. And in Peter's denial of Jesus, the record of it, his failure stands with the others as someone who falters in, in his faith, but it reminds us, and, and it's, it's a powerful testimony, I think, that we're capable of this, that it's not too far removed from our potentiality to be those kind of people like Peter who deny the Lord. And it's also a bold reminder that our God, though our sins be many, uh, his mercy is more. 
that he is a very forgiving God. And so Peter's denial of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, which is where we're going, verses 69 through 75, it provides an answer, and I just, two questions, I you know, it says some questions, but it provides the answer to, to really to two important questions that do not excuse the faltering in the lives of the faithful. It's not an excuse for it, but exposes the reality that we do falter sometimes. And it also uh, provides us the explanation for the reason why we might do that. Not an excuse, but a reason why we might do it. And it expresses I think the richness of God's mercy, the richness of God's love and forgiveness that, that's available to us when we mess up. Okay? So it's not an excuse for us to mess up, but it's facing the reality that sometimes we will, and then when we do, God is grace, great, gracious to forgive us. So if you have your Bible or your device, uh, you would open it to, uh, turn it to, or get to Matthew 26. And if you don't have one, there should be a Bible somewhere in a seat in front of you. And I'm going to read the, the text Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75, beginning with verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said. Before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. The first question that I see in the text that's answered for us is, what are the circumstances in which the faithful falter? So each of Peter's three denials... Uh, that are recorded here in the text, share the following common elements that are characteristic or or usually found when we falter. And the first element that's found in the text is that it's usually a volatile situation, a a tension-filled situation in which we're tempted, and then if we cave in, we, we falter. Now, see, all of the disciples had left Jesus. We discovered this earlier on in Matthew chapter 26 verse 56 but all this had taken place that the scriptures might be filled and then all the disciples left him and fled so all the disciples are gone but Peter he still has this weak but genuine love for the Lord and so he's curious as to what's going to play out and so he finds his way back and he actually ends up in enemy territory He's in the courtyard of the high priest. If you look back at verse 58, it says, But Peter also was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Well, how did he get in there? John tells us in John chapter 18 that uh, Peter had uh, gotten in there because he gained access to the courtyard because a disciple who knew the high priest, presumably John, had gone to the gate and said, let him in. Okay, 
So that's how Peter gets into this courtyard of the high priest. And while Jesus is in kangaroo court, while he's in this trumped-up court setting that's uh, you know, got it all determined what his verdict is, despite the risk, Peter s- sits down around a fire probably with the officers and presumably some other soldiers are milling around and other servants are milling around. And so the scene is in the courtyard of the high priest. Well, they're in the inner sanctums carrying on this court, okay? So Peter's curious. But he wants to remain unnoticed. He kind of wants to be incognito, but he's still in enemy territory, right? And Peter's settled in among those who are hostile. And notice the term that's given in verse 69, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. These people are hostile to Jesus the Galilean. Galileans, the reference there is a a derogatory term. It's not an endearing term. It's a derogatory term to those people who were to the north of Jerusalem who were considered, uh, they were despised and despicable. They were the unrefined hicks of the north whose religion was probably a little, their their, their religious pedigree and their religious practices were substandard, according to the folks who lived in Jerusalem. So it's kind of like the stereotypical way that we would say attitude of the, the Ivy League people have towards us people who are the unsophisticated folks in flyover country. Okay, so we're just kind of, you know, the unsophisticated, uh, you know, deplorable type people who don't know, you know, what's good for us. So we have to have more educated and highly refined people to tell us what we think and what we should do and what's best for us. So this is the idea. And so the point I want to make and what I think is here is that when followers of Jesus are surrounded by those people who are hostile towards Jesus, it's... A volatile situation, okay? So after the first denial, we find Peter, uh, he, he denies Jesus the first time, and the second time, he's not in the inner sanctums necessarily, the courtyard, sitting around a fire, but now he's made his way to the gate. He's kind of like, oh. And the gate, perhaps a little more dimly lit, but also you can, you can see the way out. You know, you, you know the exits, for where, where the exit is from here. And so there he is. And uh, he's waiting there. But even there, he was identified. And uh, the servant said, said, the servant girl said, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Well, there you go again. Of Nazareth. Maybe some of your minds will go to to John chapter 1 and Nathaniel. When Jesus encounters Nathaniel, Nathaniel says of Jesus, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So there you go again. They're, these people are not very endeared to Jesus at all. He, they, don't, they don't really like him. They don't care about him. It, it was possible association with Jesus that Peter found to be most dangerous. And so the first question I want to ask of us this morning is what person or group in our life makes it dangerous for us to reveal our association with Jesus? Is there a person or a group in your life that it would be dangerous for you to reveal your association with Jesus to? Uh, think about if you're a student, your, your peers at school. 
if you're not a student, uh, if you are, maybe it's not your peers, maybe it's your teachers. I'm not so worried about my, my fellow students, but my teachers, I don't want them to know I'm a Jesus person. Or your professors in college, can't let them know. What about your coworkers? What about your boss? What about some people in your family? It's like some people in your family, you want maybe they're the people that it would be dangerous for you to reveal that you have association with, with Jesus. Now, those are volatile situations, and they cannot and, and, and should not all be avoided. I'm not saying that we should run from all those associations or those, those uh, volatile situations. No. But neither should we run into those situations with an arrogant attitude of, well, I got this. Do you remember what Peter said? Earlier in Matthew 26, when Jesus said to him, before a cock crows, you'll deny me three times? <laughs> Not me, Lord. I mean, I'm willing to die for you. So we shouldn't enter him with uh, an arrogance, no. So then a bit later, uh, uh, bystanders come up to Peter, and they claim that his speech gives him away. Now, I'm not exactly sure what this means. I mean, did he have an accent? You know, like if, if, uh, if somebody came here from New York, we would, and they grew up in New York, we would probably say, yeah, you're from the East Coast. You know? But I don't know. I don't think so. But I would say this. It seems to me that either it's through what he said or what he didn't say or how he said it that he made his association known. And we too, through what we say or what we don't say, we, mostly what we say, we can make our association with Jesus known. That would give us away, okay? Uh, he was from that, uh, the, the Galilean group didn't like him, all right? And his speech pointed to his association with Jesus. Uh, we could tip people off if we talk about uh, the things of God, okay? So, here's the deal. Uh, a volatile situation is when identifying with Jesus makes us, it could have a serious or unpleasant consequence. So I don't know what, what your situation is. Where could you be in a situation where uh, your association with Jesus could have an unpleasant or uh, a serious consequence? It might be where you work. It might be in your classroom. It might be on social media. <laughs> Some of you, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't, know. I, 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 I don't do Facebook anymore. Uh, but I do check out some social media sites. I try not to post anything, and I try not to say anything. I just put out scripture verses, okay? Because I figure I'll let God, I'll let God talk. But that could be dangerous too, because people say, "Oh, all that guy does is, is, is share Bible verses," you know, because it alienate him, okay? And I've met people, and I know people who have had to flee from their family. They've had to flee from their country because of their association with Jesus, and their life was threatened. Now, so far in America, that's not the case, but there are places in the world where that's the case. Our goal is not to avoid the situations, but it's not to be self-reliant. So there is a volatile situation. Then there's a threatening accusation. That's the second element. Okay, it's, okay you can be in a volatile situation. You go to work, and you can know everybody in there is hostile towards Jesus. And you can just do your job, okay, maybe. But if you're there and you're doing your job and then all of a sudden people are saying, oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks. Are you one of those Jesus people? Are you one of those, uh, you know, conservative Christian people? Then it becomes a little more threatening. So in verses 69, 71, and 73, 
While Peter is seated, first of all, amidst the officers, a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. Now, it's likely, we don't know this for fact, but it's likely that this servant girl, since she knew that he had been with Jesus the Galilean, it's likely that she had been in the garden when Jesus was arrested. And maybe had seen him lop off the ear of the high priest's servant. Now, if you had that visual, even though it was probably not very well lit in the garden, you would remember the face of the dude that just whacked off the ear of the high priest's slave, right? Might, whoa, this is a, this is a person uh, of interest, you know. And so it's a face you would remember, just like if we put uh, Vladimir Putin's face up here, you would know this is a guy who's associated with the loss of life of a lot of people, innocent people, right? So it's easy. A face association with tragic loss. Peter was identified with Jesus of Galilee. Now, nobody then and nobody now is really too worried if you're religious. It's okay to be religious. But if you start saying you believe in Jesus, that's... That's the nasty one, you know. You can, you can say, our Father who art in heaven, but if you start talking about in Jesus' name, that's the trigger point. It seems to be in, in the culture. It was then, it is now, okay. You can, you can get canceled, <laughs> or worse, worse. A few weeks ago, I played a little clip by Kevin Sorbo. He was a movie actor, and he still is a movie actor in Hollywood, but he, he got basically blacklisted because of his outspoken Christian faith. Some of you know who Mike Lindell is. He's a my pillow guy. He's been his 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 stuff has been taken out of most major uh, retailers, you know, large part because of his Christian testimony, his Christian witness. So it it happens. And so it, it then there's two more associations. It's not just the first one where he's around the fire, but in the gateway and then when the bystanders talk to him, it confirms us that it is association with Jesus that's the problem. It's association with Jesus. It's a problem. And in verse 71, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And then in verse 73, surely the speech identifies him as one who was one of these Galilean people. So Peter's getting the picture. <laughs> uh, they arrested Jesus. And then they had this mockery of a trial. He's probably seen him, you know, brutally abusing him. And uh, now he's being identified as one of them. And so he says, no, I don't want any part of it. It's, it's this identification with Jesus. And some of you know, and some of you don't know who Tim Tebow was, but he was a Heisman Trophy winner. He played professional sports. But he was guy, I think, one of the worst cases of being vilified, ostracized, criticized, and, and cut off because of his Christian faith. He used to go off to the field and he would kneel and, in prayer after the game. And all oh, they made, that was just totally offensive to, to the politically correct crowd, to the, 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 the people who don't care about Jesus. But you know what? There are places in the world where if you're a Christian, you're, you're, being, you're being asked to convert to another religion or die. And you know, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, I know what I'd say. But when you're there, it's a totally different ballgame. A totally different thing. If we follow Christ and support what the Bible teaches, if we cling to the truth of the Scripture, 
which says, yeah, we're supposed to be honest all the time. We believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life. We believe that the Bible teaches in abstinence before marriage and fidelity after marriage. We believe that it's wrong to take the life of an unborn child. We believe that there are two genders, that God made them, male and female. That we believe that all human beings are equal, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of where they were born, regardless of any of the circumstances, they're treated equally before God. We're the opposition. We're the radicals. We're going to be vilified and demonized. And this is not different than what Peter was experiencing right there in the courtyard of the high priest. We're out of step with the moral revolution. There's one more common theme. It's not just at a volatile situation, not just a threatening accusation, but then there is this priority on self-preservation or self-protection. Peter caved to the pressure. Despite his adamant claim, I will die for you, Jesus. What that teaches me, or I hope it teaches me, is that none of us who claim the name of Jesus should underestimate the power of our own tendency for self-preservation. None of us should overestimate our ability to resist the temptation to reject or deny Jesus. No. We are propelled on Peter's path by our own sinful, fallen desire to protect numero uno. We want to watch out for ourselves. I like what C.S. Lewis said. Only a real risk can test the reality of our belief. We can talk hypotheticals all day, right? But only a real risk will test the reality of our belief. The big question is, how will we respond when the risk confronts us? You know? You see, the pressure is mounting and may mount us to deny Jesus. We can deny Jesus by what we do. We can compromise. We can just live a life of of sin along with our friends because we don't want to be identified as a Jesus person by what we don't do. We can decide, oh, I'm not going to bow in prayer at a public place because I don't want to be identified as a religious person or a Jesus person. It can be pressured by what we say. We can deny Jesus or by what we don't say. I'm not going to stand up for Jesus. The pressure is mounting. And and, and when it, it... Potentially could cost us a family relationship or a relationship with another person. It could cost us a job. It could cost us our life. But when will the risk is real? You know, I was, I was really, I read this just recently and I was just saddened by it. But I thought, I'm not going to point a finger. But do you know during, during the Holocaust, in the worst part of the, the Holocaust in Germany, that the, the people who gathered in the churches and the trains would go by with the rail cars loaded with Jewish citizens being taken off to the concentration camps screaming and crying out. The, the German people in the, in the churches would sing louder to drown out the voices of those headed to their 
demise. And you go, how could they do that? Self-protection, self-preservation, compromise, no. I want to stand up. I want to. I want all of us to be willing to stand up. I want to be a little bit more like Phil Robertson. Some of you don't know who Phil Robertson is. Some of you know who Phil Robertson is. He was made famous by a, a reality TV show called Duck Dynasty. Guy made millions and millions of dollars because he, he made duck calls, you know. And they had a TV show about it. They did an interview of Phil Robertson. Some magazine person came to do an interview of Phil Robertson. And Phil Robertson quoted a verse of scripture to this interviewer. And that quote cost him $10 million. Because he got canceled. Or I'm not exactly sure what the T is about. He, he said, I quoted scripture. It cost me $10 million. His son Jay says, probably the best $10 million you ever spent. You know? or didn't have, whatever. But here's the deal. He stood up. And it's this fear of punishment. It's this, this fear of pain. It's the most common motivation to protect ourselves uh, and governs our actions. Peter's cowardice in the face of his accu accusers stands in stark contrast to Jesus' courage. What did Jesus say? Yeah. I'm the guy. I'm the Christ. What did Peter say? I don't know him. I don't know who the dude is. Jesus. Peter, you know, and with each accusation, where do we find Peter? He's here. He's in the, in the courtyard sitting around a fire. Okay. First accusation. Nope. Don't know the guy over here. It's like, well, I'm, I'm closer to the gate. Know where the door is. All right. And he, with each accusation, he becomes distant further from Jesus and more adamant in his rejection of Jesus or his denial of Jesus. First accusation, I don't, know who you, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. You're no, close to Jesus the Galilee. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe this never happened to you, but it happens in our house sometimes. At least it did when our kids were here. Um, you go to the freezer, and you know you, know you have some ice cream sandwiches in the, in the freezer. You know? And so you go to the freezer, and you open the freezer, and guess what? There's a box for ice cream sandwiches, but there are no ice cream sandwiches in the box. Because somebody took the last ice cream sandwich. And so you say, who took the last ice cream sandwich? Everybody goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Here's Peter. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't have a clue. Amazingly, nobody, remarkable that, 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 that one of Jesus' first disciples, one of the people he called first to be his follower, one of them who was in his closest inner circle, was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, had been, Peter's mother-in-law had been healed. And he goes, I don't know who he is. Seriously. The fear was real for him, and, it, and, and it's fear for us. If we admit to being and we act like a follower of Jesus, some of our friends may reject us, or, or at least they will ridicule us. Our neighbors, they might mistreat us or ignore us. Employers, they might not hire us. Or if they hire us, they, 
then they might fire us because of our association with Jesus. Scholarship committees will ignore us. Coaches will not play us. Teachers will harass us. And our enemies, they may actually hurt us. We can't prepare for every situation, right? We can't know what all those realities are. But we better not be going into it arrogantly thinking, I got this. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 12, he says, Therefore, let, let the one who thinks that he stands watch out so that he doesn't fall. So I think we should come to it with, with a bit of humility. Uh, John MacArthur is, makes a very astute observation. He says this, A person's involuntary response to the unexpected, a person's involuntary response to the unexpected is a more reliable reliable indicator of his character than his planned reaction to a situation he anticipates. I mean, just our gut reaction indicates our character better than our planned response to something that we we, we prepare for. Yeah. Peter faced a real risk uh, that tested his belief, his faith, and he failed. And he didn't fail once, he didn't fail twice, he failed three times. And his first failure led him into the shadows where he could see uh, the, the gate. The second one, well, he spoke to the bystanders. Uh, and, and, and it all had to do with his association with Jesus. But you notice when the second time he gets there in verse 72, uh, he says he denied with an oath saying, I don't know the man. So intensifying his denial with an oath, which an oath was a a desperate move. Basically, he was calling God as a witness to his lie. God is my witness that I'm telling the truth, but he knew he was lying. And it was something that Jesus had forbidden back in Matthew chapter 5. He says, don't do this oath thing. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. By the time the bystanders approached Uh, Peter declaring that his speech was giving him away. He was getting even more intense, probably thinking everybody there knew that he was a follower of Jesus, and so he became even more adamant about his denial of Jesus. And it says in uh, in verse 74, he says he began to curse and to swear. Well, I mean, we don't see this in this passage, but in John chapter 18, verse 26... It says that uh, a relative of the slave whose ear Peter had cut off actually said to him, aren't you, weren't you the guy, weren't you there? Whoa, he's getting pinned to the wall. I mean, it's coming out that he is there. And he says he began to curse and to swear. And it, to, to curse is, is not like we would think that he's saying the Lord's name in vain, but he was using Lord's name in vain, because to, 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 to curse was to call down a curse upon himself if he was not telling the truth in God's name, which is the worst offense, the worst way to profane the name of Jesus. And then to swear was just to, to insist, insist, insist that he was, he didn't know him. He didn't know who Jesus was. It's the same as an oath. So with his final denial... You see it up here in verse 74. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man, and immediately a cock crowed. At that very moment, the text tells us, this text doesn't, but Luke 22 tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. At the very moment, he looked at Peter. And they met, and their eyes met, and Peter knew exactly 
what had happened. What are the circumstances? Well, there's a volatile situation, a threatening accusation, and there's our self-preservation as the priority. But then we see what are the consequences when the faithful do falter, and that's what we see in verse 75. There are three consequences, two in this text and one that I'm drawing from other texts, but the first one is that our, there's a separation with God. As Peter's eyes met the Lord, he remembered what Jesus had said, you'll deny me three times, but he also remembered what he had said, I will never deny you, I'll die. Our sin separates us from God. If we're a believer, sin separates us from fellowship with God. If we're an unbeliever, our sin separates us from a relationship with God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I came home one time, and I uh, found one of our children violating something that we had agreed that was off-limits. They, they shouldn't be doing this. And that caused a separation in our fellowship. It was palpable. They knew I was upset, and they were guilty, and things weren't right until we could reconcile, until... We could get some apologies and we could make things right. Same is true with children of God. Sin separates us from our fellowship with God. And, and, and if you're here and you're listening, you don't know Jesus, sin is what separates you from a relationship with God, which God desperately desires. Then there's devastation. It's not just separation. There's the devastation. Notice the end of verse 75. Before he, he remembered what Jesus had said, before a cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. I think this was the beginning of Peter's turning back to the Lord. It was the beginning of his, his, his turning back to faithfulness and service. In Luke chapter 22, uh, Jesus had, had told Peter kind of what was going to happen. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has de demanded to sift you like you, you men like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your, your brothers. See, Jesus said, when you, when you turn back, when you have turned back, and this is the beginning of him turning back to God. God has promised us, right? In, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is reconciliation, in the, or, or not reconciliation with God, because we've been reconciled if we're trusting in Christ, but there's a restoration of our fellowship with God if we confess our sin. And so then there is this separation, there is devastation, and then finally there is restoration. Now, it's the restoration part isn't in this text, okay? So I'm not drawing this from Matthew chapter 26. But what we see is in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says that, and Peter's there, is, is a hint that there's restoration because he's commanding and commissioning Peter to go do it. But what Matthew hints at, or what Matthew suggests, John states. In John chapter 21, you can write it down if you want to, verses 15 through 17, the story is, after Jesus' resurrection, he finds Peter and the boys fishing. 
and they don't catch anything. And so he says to them, why don't you cast over the net? And they're going, who's that dude? He's telling us to cast over, over here. And so they do, and they get this whole boatload of fish. And Peter knows immediately that it's the Lord. Because it's the exact same thing that Jesus did when he called Peter. Back in Luke chapter 5. It's, he reenacted the whole thing. So Peter, whoa, I get it. And then he says to Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And each time he says, you know that then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. This is the restoration of Jesus. It's a marvelous picture of the mercy and grace of God. He had failed him as miserably as anybody could fail him. And yet, God still, Jesus still welcomed him back. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, uh, Paul writes these words. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Think, Peter. Think, Peter. And I, that's not original with me. I heard it from a sermon that I was at a conference one time, and the guy says, think, Peter. Then, Because Peter was restored. He cannot deny himself. He was one of his children. He would not deny himself. So as believers, the call is to rely on the Lord and request his strength to stand faithful and true and not to falter in the face of, of the pressure, to rest in knowing that if we do mess up, he will restore us if we repent and return. For those who don't know Jesus, the call is to put your faith and your trust in a God who is so merciful and gracious that even though our sins are many, his mercy is more. He will restore us. He'll, he'll forgive us. Peter completed his turning again and became one of the most prominent of all apostles. God's restoration of Peter shows the richness of his mercy. So, Peter... His denials is a portrait of our own frailty, but it's also a picture of God's mercy. And as we close our service and we, we take uh, the bread and, and the cup, we should think about asking God to help us refrain, help us, empower us to resist the temptation to deny you, and thank him for the hope that we have even if we do He'll restore us. As we take the, these elements, as we look at them, every time we take the symbols, every time you take the bread, every time you drink the juice, we are announcing Jesus' death. We're announcing his death, and we're also declaring our association with Jesus. We do it here. The call then is not to be ashamed when we leave here. We've taken these elements, we've announced it, and we've, we've uh, acknowledged our association with Jesus. But when we leave here, we want other people to know this Jesus. We want other people to know that they can be delivered through the death that he, paid, that he died so that they can be free of their sins if they will confess and turn and trust in Christ. Lord, give us courage. So as, 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 the, as the praise team comes and as they play this last song, uh, not this last song, this next song, as they play this next song, what I want you to do is just confess your sin before God. Get your heart right before him, before you take of the elements. And then at some point you feel comfortable, then you take the, the bread and the cup and ask God to give you the courage to stay faithful at all times and to the end. Let's pray. Father, 
Uh, I thank you for the lessons you give us from Peter's life. Lord, it's not easy to think that we would fail, but help us to, to, to resolve in our heart to, to ask for your grace and your courage in all of the various situations where association with Jesus is a volatile situation, where there could be accusations that would threaten us, where we're prone to be protective of ourselves. God, I pray that you'd help us by your grace to stand true. And if we fail, if we falter, Lord, help us to rest in the redemption that we have in Christ and the restoration that we have because your mercy is great in spite of our sins. We thank you in Jesus' name.